Sentire Media. Hello everyone and welcome to A History of Italy. Episode 37, The Normans Run Out of Land and the Papacy Out of Patience. First of all, episode 37, eh? I really remember looking forward to my 37th birthday, simply because I could post the I'm not old, I'm 37 quote from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Now my podcast is 37 episodes old. How nice. Almost a year old as well. Anyway, in episode 36, we left off in the year 1061, with the death of Pope Nicholas II. In that same year, obviously before dying, he had confirmed the Norman Robert Giscard as Duke of Calabria and Puglia, a situation that had first been officialized in 1059 with the Treaty of Melfi. Ever since the important battles of the early 1050s, the Normans had continued to expand and consolidate in the south of Italy. Robert had succeeded his brother, Umfred, at his death, and Richard Dregnot of Alversa had taken over from the Lombard Pandolf V of Capua in 1057, bringing Capua under direct Norman rule. Nominally, they were the vassals of the Prince of Salerno, Gisulf or Gisulf, but he was really just a prisoner of his own vassals. Now, however, there was a problem. You see, the Normans weren't expanding into the vastness of the Russian steppes or the prairies of Midwest America, but they were expanding into southern Italy, and so they were running out of room. If you look on a map of Italy, you will notice that right in front of the toe of the peninsula, Calabria, there is quite a nice piece of real estate, strategically placed in the middle of the Mediterranean, between Europe and Africa, called Sicily. That reminds me of a little chant or nursery rhyme my grandmother used to say. That's obviously Granny Smith and not Nonna Franceschini. She would go around saying, Long-legged Italy kicked poor Sicily out into the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. I don't quite remember if it came up in conversations about Italy. It was just a sort of thing she used to say. Anyway, if Italy did give Sicily a kick, it can't have been that hard because the island stuck pretty close to the peninsula. There it was, and for a bunch of land-hungry Normans, it was just the next logical step. Indeed, things had also become more crowded with the addition of yet another of those Hortville brothers. Listeners will remember that the Hortville family came from a village of the same name in Normandy, from a father who seemed to be able to procreate like a rabbit, and went, in the space of a single generation, from poor marauding knights to the lords of southern Italy. 
the latest addition to the Happy Family was Roger. Thanks to a Benedictine monk and thanks to Wikipedia, we have a description of Roger. He was a youth of a great beauty, of a lofty stature, of a graceful shape, most eloquent in speech and cool in counsel. He was far-seeing in arranging all of his actions. Present and merry all with men, strong and brave and furious in battle. He made his way down to Italy in 1057 and, as had been the case with his brothers, proved himself worthy in battle. Now the father of the family, Tancred, had died back in 1041, but I can't seem to find a date for his second wife, Frisenda, mother of Roger and Robert, among others. So I like to imagine she was alive at the time and the sort of letters she would be receiving from her sons. Hello, Mum. Weather nice and sunny. Conquered Puglia yesterday. Hope you're well. Love, Robert. Hello, Mum. Hope you're well. I'm afraid I've got a bit of a cold at the moment. Oh, by the way, just finished conquering Calabria yesterday. Love, Roger. Family correspondence aside, there was really nowhere left to go except to Sicily. Now, as is often the case with land, there may actually already be someone there, and they may not like a bunch of Normans just walking over there and declaring everything to be theirs. The someone in this particular case were the Arabs of the Emirate of Sicily. Now, the Muslims or Saracens were no pushovers like the tired Byzantines or the litigious Lombards. They had been quite a formidable foe. In more recent times they had, however, been more on the defensive, after their whirlwind expansion during the 7th century. From an Italian point of view in particular, the maritime cities of Pisa and Genova, eager to protect their trade routes, were giving the Saracens a really hard time. They had sent them packing from their holdings in Corsica and Sardinia, and had also performed a series of raids in Sicilian cities, such as Palermo. Sicily itself was divided by infighting, and it was one of these clashes that gave the Norman Hauteville brothers their excuse, their casus belli. Now, my sources differ a bit here, on who was fighting whom and who sought out the Normans. One source says that Bitumne of Syracuse called the Normans to help him against the emir of Agrigento. Another source instead mentions Ibn At-Tumna of Catania, who called the Normans to help him against Ibn Al-Khawas of Palermo. Now, whether it is one or the other, or perhaps both, or maybe even a case of overlapping identities, the Normans had their excuse and made their way over the Strait of Messina. The Norman force was not a large one. The highest estimates put them at no more than a couple of hundred men. But whoever had called them, they realized quite quickly that they had made a pretty big mistake. 
the Normans took Messina. It was the start of the invasion of Sicily. The conquest of Sicily was not as fast as that of southern Italy. Indeed, it could not really be considered complete until around thirty years later. The fall of what was considered the capital of the island, Palermo, came about instead in 1072, but resistance continued. Interestingly, the Saracen resistance moving into the hills at the center of the island is indicated by journalist and historian Indro Montanelli as the start of a phenomenon of organized crime that came to be known as the Mafia. I haven't actually read up on this anywhere else, and there isn't really much support for it in Montanelli, but I find it interesting, and since I'm looking into a little side project on the Mafia, I'll keep you up to date on that. For the moment, we'll leave the Normans gradually taking over the island of Sicily. Let's go back to mainland and back to 1061. Pope Nicholas II had just legitimized the Normans before they were off to Sicily. Maybe he went off to see them, waving his handkerchief as their ship left the port. Shortly after that, he died. Upon his death, a delegation was sent up to the emperor to get his input on who should be the next pope. While they were on their way, the members of the church who promoted the reform, supported by the Normans and Godfrey the Bearded, elected Anselmo da Baggio, Bishop of Lucca, with the name of Alexander II. This was the 1st of October. The delegation, which was heading up to the emperor, got there and, on the 28th of October, elected the Bishop of Parma, with the name of Honorius II. One may think that that was just yet another situation with a few too many popes, but there was something more this time around. Now, it was the Church Reform Party versus the Emperor. The papacy had gotten tired of messing around and was ready to get down to business. The forces in Italy now lined up. On the side of Alexander II, we had the church members supporting the reform, Godfrey, the de facto ruler of a good part of northern Italy, thanks to the holdings of his wife, Beatrice of Canossa, and the Normans, the rulers of southern Italy. On the side of Honorius II, we had the emperor, now the young Henry IV, with the regency of his mother, Agnes of Poitou, and the bishops of northern Italy, and the patricians of Rome. Got that? Got the teams? So, in Alessandro II's corner, we have, we have the church reformers, Godfrey the Bearded and the Normans. And in Honorius II's corner, we have the emperor, the bishops of northern Italy, and the patricians, the politicians, the noble families of Rome. Things turned ugly pretty quickly, and Honorius came down with a nice little army to sort things out in a very practical manner. Beatrice, the wife of Godfrey the Bearded and mother of Matilda, tried to slow down his progress by digging a large trench along the Via Miglia. After initial battle won by Honorius, a stalemate was reached in Rome, with him in Castel Sant'Angelo and Alexander II at the Campidoglio, 
staring menacingly over at each other. The situation was finally solved, not in Rome, but back in Germany, where a sort of coup occurred. In 1064, the Archbishop of Köln, Anno, took over the regency, and forced the Empress Mother aside, and into a convent. With a happy coincidence, this Anno was a friend of Pope Alexander II, and that pretty much settled it. Pope Alexander II was now free to reign as the only pope. This showed that the power of the emperor in Italy was only nominal; the real power lay with Godfrey and the Normans. Alexander II did a pretty good job, lasting a whole nine years, pushing the church reform during his years as pontiff. One interesting thing, especially for those who are Interested in English history, was when in 1066 a delegation from a certain William of Normandy came along to ask the Pope's blessing for a little invasion he was planning to take. What he saw was his rightful place, the King of England. The Pope accepted and issued an edict to the members of the English Church, guiding them to submit to the new regime. And acting as an important tool in the submission of the English Church after that fateful battle of Hastings. If you've already done the maths from 1064 when he became the sole de facto ruler, you will have realized that Alexander II made it to the year 1073, the year after the Normans had taken Palermo, marking an important moment in the conquest of Sicily. It was in this year. 1073, that a man who had risen from very humble origins, the son of a farmer, became the supreme leader of the Catholic Church. The name of the man was Ildebrando di Soana, Ildebrando di Soana, and when he became pope, he took the name of Gregory the Seventh. We'll talk a little bit more about him next time. Let's now close with a consideration. The Normans had demonstrated that Italy was far too weak to resist foreign invasion. That a handful of mercenaries could change the political tide of the country. Unfortunately, Italy would not learn this lessons for centuries, not until the unification, really, in 1861. But that's quite far off in the future. For now, thanks very much to everyone for listening. Thanks in particular to my Patreon donors. First of all, the Anita and Giuseppe Garibaldi level, Preston, Roberta, Sean, and Jeff. The Matilde di Canossa and Mazzini level, Benjamin. The Margherita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, Chris, Stephen, Vincent, Jay, Shelby, Caitlin A. Ben L and our newest member Dean, and thanks very much to the Maria Montessori and Dante Alighieri level Sen. This week, I really, really have to thank also William K and Ignazio P, a fellow Italian from Sardinia, for their generosity. Thank you very much to both of you for your donations on PayPal. 
If, like them, you wish to support the show, which remains obviously completely free, you can go over to the website, ahistoryofitaly.com, go to the support page and click on the support button. Otherwise, you can go over to Patreon at patreon.com slash ahistoryofitaly and become a monthly supporter. Thank you very much to everyone for your generosity in this sense. You can also get in touch for questions, comments, or just to say hello at hello at ahistoryofitaly.com and on the website you can find our social media links and some information such as timelines and maps to help you navigate our country's complicated history. Until next time, thanks very much for listening again and arrivederci. Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.